Support for this podcast is provided by Brick. Brick provides you with talent intelligence that works, eliminating biases, time constraints, and inefficient decisions in a world that's increasingly rejecting subjectivity. Brick's end to end AI driven talent intelligence empowers you to make data driven decisions across the employee lifecycle. From hiring, development, and mobility to performance optimization and culture, Brick's science backed approach is the only solution to inform every talent milestone by combining your data with their validated psychometrics. Visit brick.com, which is spelled B R Y Q, to book a demo with the talent intelligence team and realize the full potential of your business. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 405 of the Recruiting Future podcast. One of the early discussion points in the pandemic was the access to global talent pools that the move to remote working could open up. Two years on, and it's pretty clear that remote working is now a permanent fixture in the working life of many people. So how far are employers tapping into global talent pools and what are the challenges and opportunities? My guest this week is Nicole Sahin. CEO and founder of Globalization Partners. Nicole and her company work with many employers who are building global remote teams, and she has some very valuable insights and experiences to share. Hi, Nicole, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, it's so nice to be here. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Yes, absolutely. I'm Nicole Sahin. I'm the CEO and founder of Globalization Partners. And what we do is we help companies expand internationally without them having to set up branch offices and subsidiaries in different countries or deal with the HR legal and tax implications of all the jurisdictions in which they might be able to find great talent. Absolutely. And, and obviously a topic that is uh, very relevant to, to many employers at, at the moment. The pandemic's sort of really brought huge changes in the in the ways that companies access talent. What are the long-term trends that, that you're seeing from your perspective in terms of what you do? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, what we're seeing is people, you know, it, it's no longer that the place to be is the Silicon Valley in London and, and uh, New York. You know, now the place to be is online. And the digital economy is booming. And people, companies don't care where people are anymore. They desperately need great talent. And I think that some of the barriers around like that mental barrier of, oh, this person's in Mexico, they're not going to be as good at the job as the person in the Silicon Valley. You know, a lot of that is melting away. Um, And so it's really coming down to, yeah, everyone everywhere, work policies, which have huge societal changes and impacts on both the way we work and society overall, and also, of course, in the way that we live. So it's all really incredibly exciting. Absolutely. And it's been really interesting to see lots of employers embrace this. But but at the same time, there, there, there are employers and teams out there who are, are still reticent about kind of opening up to these 
global talent pools. It was something that certainly in the sort of the early days of the pandemic, lots of people were talking about, but not as many people were doing. That's obviously starting to change. But talk us through what you're seeing the the benefits that that companies are getting by by building these remote global teams. There's, I'd say, three different benefits that they're getting. First, the most obvious is access to talent. I mean, it's always been true that there are incredibly talented people all over the globe. And I think the pandemic and the tight labor market has just opened people's eyes to how predominant it is to find great talent everywhere. And right now, you really can't access, um, you really can't build a company just looking within a 50-mile radius of HQ, and there's no point. So that's one benefit. The second benefit is the ability to sell in new locations more quickly. So, you know, when you can hire salespeople and, and access local knowledge all over the globe, a company that's doing business in the United States can easily start doing business in Europe by hiring a European sales team very quickly. So that acceleration of revenue globally is, is a huge benefit. And finally, a third benefit um, I would say it's like the, that you get so much more access to the diversity of ideas by opening your mind and your business to people from all over the globe. I mean, if you look at the trajectory of this in you know the 80s and 90s, the common way that companies would expand into a new market was by taking someone in the U- in the U.S. or in, in in London if that was where headquarters was, and transplanting that person to China to go build a local team or build a team to access that market. And now what people realize is someone in China, it's much easier to adjust that person to your company culture than it is to adjust an expatriate to that local culture. So HR teams started to figure this out. I would say, you know, 15 years ago, it started to become much more common to to hire locals in each location, but that has exploded. It's just now everybody knows that hiring local people around the globe is great for your business. It adds diversity of ideas. Um, and it also brings a lot of joy to our work. You know, it's a lot more fun to get to know people from all over the globe. So there's huge benefits, again, in, in both from a business perspective, but also from a human perspective. And that makes it a lot of fun to have this bird's eye view of everything that's happening in the world right now. One of the things that there was a, a huge amount of discussion about as companies were, were forced to go uh, remote for the for, for the for the first time, with the the challenges around employee engagement and maximizing productivity when everyone's working remotely and and thinking differently about those kind of things than you would think about them perhaps in a face to face environment, with a permanent shift to these sort of globally distributed teams. Well, what are companies doing to to deal with those, those those challenges in terms of engagement and and productivity? I think everything's gone online, and there has to be a greater focus on building digital learning, asynchronous productivity. You know, meaning different people can work on different things in different time zones or when they're available, um, and. So there's focus on that, you know, first the training programs and and asynchronous learning. So everybody's not in the same room at one time, Um, but also, yeah, building community in an online space. So those are the things that companies are really trying to figure out and do. I would say the best companies um, 
were doing a lot of it already, but they just had to pivot even more to making it all online. So just as an example, at Globalization Partners, we've hired about 700 internal employees since the beginning of the pandemic. So that's crazy. You know, it's like, how did we hire and train all of these people whom we've literally mostly never met in person, and yet bring them into the fold and make them feel like they're part of a thriving business that their creativity and ideas um, can be harnessed. So what we did, you know, we really focused on our onboarding with those employees. So for example, you know, from the, from the moment a new employee comes on board, their first two weeks are really planned, not just meeting people in their department, but meeting people from all over the organization that they can just have a quick coffee chat with or get to know you know, as a person, as well as getting to know their work so that they have people to reach out to, Um, putting all the training online, and then again, doing a lot of that online, you know, idea space and community building. But there's a lot of businesses, I think, that are popping up as a result of this. And it's, it's really, it's exciting, again, to be a part of and and witness. We've talked about a a couple of the challenges there, but there there obviously are other challenges for employers when they're they're looking at building these these global remote teams. What are the common challenges that you see and what advice would you give to talent acquisition teams who are looking at spreading their wings and hiring remotely in other countries? I guess my... One challenge that I see is that organizations don't necessarily know where to look for talent. So even though, you know, like, so when you post a job, for example, the job posting sites are still according to geography, you know, so it's like, that's just the way the systems are set up. And yet most companies now that work in a primarily digital environment, since, since most of us are not in the office, Um, It's really like I need the right person for the job anywhere they are. So, for example, you know, we might need someone with a Silicon Valley type background, but that person might no longer be living in San Francisco. They might be living in Montana. What we would do, we wouldn't post that job in Montana, but we would post it probably in San Francisco, Boston, New York, and then recruit from the type of companies that we want that talent from. proactively, rather than thinking about the actual geography of the individual. Um, So, but I guess that I would say the the first, you know, what I would suggest as a mindset shift is really getting over the fear of hiring people outside your home, your home jurisdiction or where, where your comfort zone is, and really just getting started. So for example, there was a, a chief technology officer that I knew And like every other chief technology officer, you know, he had budget constraints and he needed to hire really talented people and find where he could find people. Um, And we went through a broad exploration process of, you know, where could he find great people? The strategy that we found works a lot of times is to find a really good, like a, a place where there's lots of talent coming out of a university, for example. So lots of good engineers in Poland and the Ukraine and around some some of the cities in northern Mexico, Argentina, Uruguay. Um, this type of there's a, there's a culture around around talent as well. And then kind of proactively going out and looking for one lead person in that 
community. So looking for someone with an amazing background with an amazing company. So maybe a director of engineering from Google, you know, obviously super smart, probably well networked, and will kind of be able to build a team around him or her. So I guess, but but it also took a big mindset shift to realize like, you know, this person was used to hiring a lot of people in Boston and San Francisco to realize that there was going to be great talent in lots of places. But to be honest, we that that individual would not have been successful in building the size team that was needed if he hadn't reached outside his comfort zone because you you just have to do it. You and and what was found is that ultimately there are unbelievable people all over the world looking for great work and a mission that they can get excited about and engaged in. And and he was successful in in making a much bigger team than he otherwise would have been if he had just stuck with his comfort zone. And that's such a great example of some of the mindset change that people have to to make to really realize the the advantages of the situation that, that we're in now and we're likely to be in for, 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 for the long term. What other mindset shifts do you think are useful or have you seen companies take to truly reap the benefits of all of this? Well, first, I think there's a lot of fear. You know, there's a fear that if if you hire someone who is culturally different or linguistic, you know, first language is different, that they're not going to embrace your business as passionately as you do. And what we found is that as soon as you start interviewing and talking to people around the globe, first, you can trust your intuition, you know, by video, just the same as you can trust your intuition in person. It's a little harder to grasp it. Because, you know, when somebody's showing up in your office for an interview, you can tell, how are they dressed? Did they polish their shoes? Are they excited about the job? Did they bring a folder with a resume? And did they have everything kind of backed up and prepared? But you can kind of get the same vibe online and including with other cultures and communities and languages, it just, and and that's the best thing to rely on, you know, is, is this person excited, passionate, engaged about the job and about communication with you? And are they professional? Um, But I think people seem, I think they can be a little bit intimidated by the fact that someone's coming from another country or language and just feels unfamiliar. So it's like getting over that hurdle first is, is really opens up the entire world of talent to you. And it is a mental hurdle. And I understand it completely because it can make you nervous, you know, Um, another mindset change um, that employers need to realize is to embrace the difference. So, um, and to not assume that there's negativity when something is confusing. So, you know, to give somebody the benefit of the doubt, um, just to give you an example of kind of a cross-cultural thing that, that I saw happen one time, I had a, um, a customer, an HR person who had a general manager in the Middle East and some of the GM's employees who reported into him had, uh, one of them had a child and part of the compensation structure in the in this part of the Middle East is it's education allowance for each child that is going to school. It's, it's just called an education allowance. And the GM called the um, the the HR person and said, "Oh, you know, we need to we need to kick in this person's education allowance for this third child." And the HR person was so upset and she called me and she's like, "You know, I feel like my GM is like trying to work the system on behalf of his employee." Um, he's asking for an education allowance, but obviously this child was just born. He's not going to school. So, you know, what should I do here? 
you know, should I fire my GM for trying to work the system? And actually, it turns out that the education allowance in in the Middle East is really, it's almost like a paternity bonus. It's like the idea is that you have an additional member of your family that you have to take care of now. And it's part of the culture of the employer to acknowledge that the employee has more people to take care of, more expenses. And usually they do start paying the education allowance sooner. And just knowing that... um, put her mind at ease because no, she doesn't have a GM who's trying to work the system. She has someone who is trying to take care of the employee and do the right thing in accordance with the cultural norm of that place. And um, I find that a lot of times if people just, you know, start with the benefit of the doubt, um, that's usually a good, a good place to start and at least open the conversation and, and kind of figure out what's going on. One of the other interesting aspects around this is employer brand. Obviously, companies might have focused on building an employer brand that was that was geographically specific, or they're they're particularly well known in a particular location or a particular country. What are the implications for employer branding when when you're sort of immediately opening yourself out to pretty much the whole rest of the world? Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a really good question and a really good point, and it really matters. So. Yeah, it's funny, you know, um, at least where I am near the Silicon Valley and, and the type of companies that, that are Silicon Valley based, um, employer brand is, is critical, but it's also seen as um, obvious. You know, you're going to want to work for the cool startup. In a lot of countries, first of all, your employer, your employer brand as a cool startup is totally unknown, but also a lot of a lot of people are not attracted. You know, that's a cultural thing of being in California. We all want to work for the cool startups. In in a lot of Asian countries and some some other parts of the world, working for a startup is not seen as cool. You know, working for Samsung is seen as cool, or working for Apple or some big established company with that stability that would show, you know, your prospective partner and future in-laws that you're going to be a stable reliable, contributing professional as a family member. Um, And so employer brand being unknown can make it really hard to recruit in new locations. But, you know, there's a lot that can at least start to be done. And again, everything is transforming to being even more online than it ever was. But employer brand is critical. Um, We all know, you know, people want to work for an organization that they're passionate about you know, making money or making a salary is no longer the primary or sole objective. Like that's just kind of like setting the table. Like, of course there has to be food at the table, but making it a beautiful table and making it feel good. There's so much competition in the market and people are just not going to spend their time and energy on something they don't feel passionate about. So employer brand is absolutely critical and you also can't run from it in today's era of glass door reviews. So Um, employer branding has never been more important, more worth investing in. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely critical to being able to build your team, which is the only way you can build your business. Now you've authored, or you've recently authored a best-selling book. Tell us about the book, what it's about and why you wrote it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I just uh, published Global Talent Unleashed which is an executive's guide to helping on, uh, it's a guide to helping executives conquer the world and build a global team beyond their wildest imagination. So yeah, it's really about just getting started and like, how do you 
why to start to think about building a global team and and really a step-by-step guide to how to do it, you know, where to look for different types of talent, where to, where to, how to manage people in different countries and what are some of the cross-cultural things that come up as well as some of the legal issues that pop up and arise as you're hiring all over the globe. And I tried to cover the top regions and countries of the world where our customers are most often hiring people and encapsulate you know, 20 years of business knowledge into one easy to use guide um, that will help other other executives take their companies global. And in writing that, I was supported by my team um, and capturing a lot of their knowledge as well. Final question. What does the future look like from 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 your perspective? If we were having this conversation again in, in two years time, what would we be talking about? Yeah, two years from now, I, I think there will be a lot of lessons learned as most of the world will have migrated to an onlo- online global digital world of work where possible. So you know, software companies aren't going back to the office. You know, I think a few companies have tried it on a tentative basis or said, we're, we're, we can't move away from a work from home, uh, work from, we, we have to go back to the offices. You know, everybody's vaccinated and in a lot of develop, developed countries now, and we all have to be at the office. Um, you know, in this labor market, people do not want to have to go to an office if they don't have to. Of course, there's some jobs that have to be worked in person, you know, restaurants and things like that. But as much as people can work from home, they want to, and that is not going to change. So this is a one-way effort towards work from home, digital economy, and and uh, and with that, work from home policies also comes the global world of work. So I'm excited to be at the forefront of it. It's it's a beautiful thing to witness this transformation in society and and also play a key part in helping our companies execute on their their plans to access the entire world of talent. Um, I think we'll also look back on some societal shifts related to it. You know, people being able to be closer to their families, um, the development of more rural economies, people being closer to their homes, um, all of which. It's really, it's really exciting and interesting to see both from who we are as people, but also from a business perspective and, and being part of it. A closing question. Where can people find you and where can they find the book? Yeah, absolutely. They can find me through my company. It's globalization-partners.com. And my name again is Nicole Sahin. They can find me on LinkedIn and they can find the book on Amazon. It's called Global Talent Unleashed. Nicole? Thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure to be here. My thanks to Nicole. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.